this morning where we began last week in these two passages of Scripture, briefly review what we studied together, and then move on into our subject matter for today, Luke chapter 2 and 1 Samuel chapter 2. We'll read those verses here in succession. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us in the Gospel of Luke, the perfect man, our example. He set an example that we should follow in his steps. First Peter 2 says, Luke 2, 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, which is an incredible thought, an amazing thing to think about. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor, the Bible says, with God and man. Jesus Christ is not the only individual of whom that is said in the scripture. First Samuel chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 26. Samuel probably even younger at this point and he has been taken to the tabernacle to be raised for the service of God in first Samuel 2 26 and the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. So this is an example set not only by Jesus Christ, but also by the child Samuel, an example that's set forth in the scripture for us to follow, that it is God's desire, it is God's intention that we grow, that we develop, that we mature in a number of areas, not only physically, that that is taking place, unless there's something wrong, that is just natural, that is going to happen. But as you grow and develop and mature physically, that accompanied with that would be some spiritual growth and development, some, some increasing in wisdom along with stature, that there would be some emotional maturation and development and some relational some relational growth and development and and maturation that you would grow in favor with God and at the same time in favor with man and again the example set by Jesus in Luke chapter 2 if he is the perfect man if this is all that is stated about his adolescence about this transitionary period from childhood to adulthood, if this is what God wanted us to know about the life of the man, Jesus Christ on the earth, then there is some significance to it. There is some importance to it. And it really ought to be the focus of this stage in your life right now, preparing yourself for whatever it is that God might have for your future. Now, now, hopefully, one of those things that God has in your future is marriage. We talked about that last week, how to obtain the favor of God. That is one of the ways to follow his course and his pattern and the institution that he established and to enjoy the benefits and the blessings of a, of a Bible-ordered home and family life. If, if that is in your future, I hope it's in your future. It's something to look forward to in your future, but it's something to prepare yourself for beginning right now you need to you need to have that in mind as you as you go through this stage and 
these years in your life, you need to look down the road and, 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 and look at what is coming and make sure that you're ready for it when it gets here. And that would mean developing the characteristics in your life. They're going to make that relationship a success. That means uh, starting now to learn to not be selfish and to put other people first and to learn what love really is. It means preparing yourself for the skills and abilities that you'll need to fulfill the roles that you will take in that home one day. Girls, you got to learn to be a keeper at home. Guys, you got to learn to bring some money home to keep the home going. You need some marketable skills eventually one day to provide for your family like the Bible says. So increase in wisdom as you increase in stature. Some of you may be in your future. God has some type of full-time ministry position, maybe the mission field, maybe a pastor it may be a youth pastor the greatest job in all of the world but but whatever that might be if god has that in your future you would be wise to begin preparing yourself now get involved in whatever ministry you can get involved in make sure that you have a pure and clean and holy life that god uh, can use uh, study your bible learn the scripture pay attention be observant. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're not called into some type of full-time ministry, every Christian is called to serve and be an active part of a local church. So certainly in your future, God has some plan, some ministry, some purpose, something for you to do for him. And whatever that might be, now is the time to prepare yourself for that. You are laying a foundation uh, upon which you will build for the rest of your life and you want to lay a foundation for success. You want to lay a foundation for God's blessing in your life, okay? Favor with God. This is God is going to be inclined to bless you. <laughs> And to prosper you. And by that I don't mean that you're financially wealthy. Just that your life is full of the blessings of God. A faithful man, Proverbs says, shall abound with blessings. And, and, and whether or not we realize it, we need to acknowledge it. And we need to act upon it. That we need God's blessings upon our lives. And so last week... We talked about how to increase with in favor with God. How, how can I set myself up for God to bless my life? Some very simple points, some very simple principles. We'll follow the same outline this week, only we're shifting focus from favor with God to favor with man. And the first point, again, is the balance. Because obviously... And you can follow your outline here. Obviously, increasing in favor with God is the ultimate priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That is the first and great commandment. But the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So at the same time that increasing with favor with God is the ultimate priority... Increasing in favor with man is also an important possibility. 
It is, it is possible, according to Christ's example, according to Samuel's example, it is possible to increase in favor with God at the same time as you increase in favor with man. Not only is it possible, it's what God expects. It's what God intends. You see, you can focus on increasing in favor with God, but ignore the favor of man. You can focus all on what we talked about, your vertical relationship, ignore your horizontal relationship. But if you ignore those horizontal relationships, then you're ignoring something that God told you to focus on, right? Most people have the opposite problem. Most young people, especially, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just speaking in generalities. Most young people, all they're concerned about is the favor of man. What other people think about them. If they are well-liked, if they are popular, if they have friends, right? And they ignore the favor of God. They'll do whatever will make them accepted by the crowd that they have joined themselves to. And that does not lead to a place of blessing. That does not lead to a place of success but at the same time that we ultimately want to put God first and we ultimately want to please the Lord and we learn to live for an audience of one, Jesus, at the same time, increased in favor with God. He increased in favor with man. So um, God wants us to learn to relate properly with others is the point that I'm trying to make here. Come to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. A few more verses on this balance this morning. First Timothy chapter number one and verse number five. You see, I had this misconception when I was very young that studying the Bible and serving God and living the Christian life made you a jerk. Like it made you hate people and it made people hate you and that somehow that was a mark of spirituality. That that the more people hated you, the more real you were as a Bible-believing Christian. That's, that's actually not true, okay? That's not how this works. And when I found that out, that was a great blessing because I don't like being hated, and I don't like hating people. I like having friends and all that kind of thing. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, look at this. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. Interesting statement in the Bible. The end of the commandment is charity. There's a couple ways we can look at this. One is that charity is the height of spiritual maturity. Charity is really the high water mark. It, it, it is the bar that is raised all the way to the top. Charity, when you get there, you have really grown as a Christian. And that's true, and that's borne out in other passages in the New Testament. The end of the commandment is charity. That's, that's the last commandment that I'm probably going to uh, have worked out in my life. But there's another sense in which this statement makes sense in the context. The end of the commandment is charity. That is, charity is the intended purpose. Charity is the intended outcome of God's commandments. If I keep God's commandments, what that will lead to is an expression of love 
for those around me. That's why the Bible often says that love is the fulfilling of the law because what God's commandments do is they define what it means to love my neighbor as myself. If I love my neighbor as myself, I will not do these things. I will not sin against them in these ways. If I love my neighbor as myself, I will treat them in the ways that the the, the Bible says they ought to be treated. So love is the filling of the law. Charity is the end of the commandment. God is trying to teach us what it means to love. That's, That's why he gave us the commandments that he did. And if we'll follow those, that's what it'll produce in our lives. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16, still talking about the balance increasing in favor with God and with man at the same time. Luke chapter 16, we do not have time to read the entire passage. It's the parable of the steward who was cast out by his master. If you look toward the end of the passage, we'll get the context of the remarks. Verse number 10, he that is faithful In that which is least is faithful also in much. We use that verse often. The importance of the little things. You've got to have character. You've got to do the the small things the right way. For the right purpose. With the right heart. Because if you cannot be trusted. If you cannot be depended upon in the very smallest things. uh, Then nobody's going to trust you for anything bigger. And that, that, that has all kinds of applications in your life that comes from this passage in Luke 16. He that is unjust, end of the verse, is in the least, is unjust also in much. Verse number 13, no man can serve two masters. We're familiar with this from Matthew chapter 6. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What's the priority? You got to put the Lord first. You got to lay up treasure in heaven. You got to seek first the kingdom of God. The, the teaching of the passage is clear, but look at verse number 11. You know that whole faithful and little, faithful and much? What's it talking about? If, if therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own, back up again, verse number nine, I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness that when you fail, they may receive you in everlasting habitation. It almost gets a little bit confusing because we're not supposed to serve mammon, but we're supposed to make friends. Isn't that what the passage says? We're, We're supposed to put the Lord first in our hearts, but we still have to be faithful in temporal things, Okay. And I, 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 I simply come to this passage to point out that I believe it illustrates the balance here. Mammon isn't my life, but it's part of my life. My relationship to God is most important, but God told me how to relate with others. And so I need to increase in favor with God at the same time increasing in favor with man. Come to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse <coughs> number 15. Your character is what God knows to be true about you, and that is ultimately important. Your reputation is what others perceive you to be. That is also important. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason and hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Here's the kind of testimony God wants us to have. 
having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. We, we, we ought to have the kind of testimony, we ought to have the kind of life, we ought to relate even to people who don't believe the Bible and don't love God. We ought to relate to them in such a way that in order to, uh, it, that they have to make up stuff about us not to like. That's what I see in verse number 16. And, and that there's something inside of them that is ashamed when they do it. They may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You're going to have to go to school or you're going to have to go to the job. You're going to have to be out in the world somewhere around lost people at some point in your life, if not now, and they're not all going to appreciate your stand for Jesus Christ. They're not going to appreciate your standards and convictions. They're not going to appreciate your beliefs and your lifestyle. They're not going to appreciate your witness. They're not going to appreciate uh, your testimony. But, but, even they should be able to recognize. You know what? That's a good guy. That, they're, they're nice people. They're, 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 they're good people. Verse number 15. There ought to be something in them that just recognizes there's something different about you. And whether they admit it or not, whether they ever come to you or not, there's something in them that wants, wants to know what that is. Because as you increase in, in favor with God, even those that are opposed to the Lord can recognize there's a good conversation there. Okay, Look at verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. This is in the passage on the qualifications for a bishop, but these characteristics are something that all of us should strive for in our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. Seven, the Bible says of the bishop, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Now, why does that matter? Right? The, I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a position within a local church. He doesn't, he's not going to have a whole lot of dealings with them that are without. I mean, Brother James gets up and he, he preaches about what you have to face on the job. And I say amen, but it's a little weird because, I mean, I come here when I'm on the job. I, I don't have to work around wicked people every day. I mean, Brother Ed has his days, but, right? But the bishop must have a good report of them which are without. These are people not part of the church. These are people who don't love God. But this man has to have the kind of reputation, the kind of testimony that even they acknowledge there's something different about him. And though they might oppose him, they, they're, they're, there's even something that makes them want to favor. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is a good summary of what I'm trying to communicate. Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I would say that demonstrates favor with God. Verse number 2, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace 
wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love Romans 5 too because it puts these two concepts together. We are standing in verse 2. We need to take a stand for Jesus Christ. We need to stand for the truth. We need to stand on the Bible. We need to be steadfast and unmovable and uncompromising. But where do we stand? We stand in grace. And how do we stand? We need to stand graciously. Increasing in favor with God. That's my stand for the Lord. But increasing in favor with man, I need to learn to take that stand in a gracious spirit, in a gracious manner, in a way that demonstrates love for those around me. So we need to learn to stand graciously. That's the balance that we're discussing here. Quickly, point number two, the examples, those in the Bible who were stated to have increased in favor with man. We don't have time to read any of the references, uh, but you can look those up at some point. Joseph is the Genesis 39 and Acts 7. The Israelites uh, in Exodus chapters 3, 11, and 12, they had favor with the Egyptians. David had favor with Saul in 1 Samuel 16, 22. It's a good thing Esther found favor in the eyes of King Ahasuerus. God used that in an incredible way to preserve his people, the nation of Israel. You read about that all through the book of Esther. Daniel is a great example because in verse number eight, he purposes in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat, not to defile himself with the king's wine. But in verse number nine, he found favor in the eyes of of his supervisor, of the man in charge, of all of those that were brought from Israel, training to be wise men. Daniel found favor in the eyes of that man, and God used that in an incredible way. The church in Acts chapter 2. This, this is it's counterintuitive. The church is suffering great persecution. The church is, you know, at odds with society. But at the same time, at the same time as all of that in Acts chapter 2, um, the church there in Jerusalem had favor in the eyes of the people round about. Now, point number three, the pursuit. How to find favor with men. This will found, sound very similar to last week, how to find favor with God. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter three. Proverbs chapter number three. If, if this is as important as the Bible bears it out to be, and it is, then how can I... How can I pursue this? How can I find this? How can I obtain this? Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, My son, forget not my law. Let thine heart keep my commandments. Length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. God's commandments are not to, are not to hurt your life. They're to enhance your life. They are not to make you miserable. They are to bring you joy. If we can only believe that, truly trust that in our hearts. Uh, put us in a better position. Verse number three, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bound, bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Okay, so what are we going to focus on here from verse number three? Mercy and truth. Mercy and truth will enable you to have favor with man. If all you have is truth, if all you have is, is your stand, but you don't have any mercy. 
if you stand, but you don't stand graciously, you're you're just going to be a jerk. It's possible to be a Christian and not be a jerk. It's what it's what God wants us to do. It's what God wants us to be. Mercy and truth. Look at Proverbs fourteen thirty five. Proverbs fourteen thirty five. You can have a self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude or you can have all the same beliefs, convictions, and right kind of life and a desire for God to use you to be a blessing to others so that they can enjoy the same blessings from God that you do. And the two are very different. Proverbs 14, 35, the Bible says, The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causeth Shame. Now, the king, it's really important to have his favor. It'd be really bad to have his wrath. Whom does the king favor? The servant who demonstrates wisdom, who just makes right choices, good decisions, does the right things. Wisdom, it means not stupid. Very simple definition. If you study the Hebrew root word, that's what you get. Wisdom means you're not acting dumb. You're not making foolish choices and decisions. It is unfortunate that people your age are characterized by stupidity, but it makes it really easy for you to stand out above the rest. Just don't be dumb. Have some wisdom. Okay, Proverbs chapter 12 Verse number eight, a man shall be commended according to his wisdom. Most of you eventually, if not already, are going to be looking for a job. And then you get on that job and you want to advance in that job. You want to be in line for the promotion. You want to uh, get a better position with higher pay and better out. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to stand out. You're going to have to have some commendation. But it really shouldn't be difficult for a Christian who loves God to be the best employee that there is. A man should be commended according to his wisdom. Wisdom would dictate you show up on time. Wisdom would dictate that you follow the standards and procedures. Wisdom would dictate that you're pleasant and helpful. Wisdom, right? And a man should be commended according to his wisdom. You'll increase in favor with God. You'll increase in favor with man. Proverbs 14, verse number 9. These are many of the same principles we looked at last week. Proverbs 14 and verse number 9. The Bible says, Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. How to increase in favor with man? Righteousness. Righteousness. Now, that again, that, that seems somewhat counterintuitive. People don't like someone who's always doing right. And that's true, but think about this over time. You see, we've got to demonstrate, we've got to exercise some, some patience. If, if you can have a consistent testimony over time, freshman year, into sophomore year, into junior year, into senior, at some point the people around you are going to 
maybe lighten up, if not give up, on trying to get you to join them. And they're going to develop some respect for somebody who really knows what they believe and is firm in their convictions and is and is unwilling to just do what everybody else is doing. They wish they had that kind of courage. They wish they had something that real inside of them. Over time, righteousness will cause people to respect you even if they don't like you. Does that make sense? But you've got to be consistent. And you've got to give it time and you've got to have that kind of testimony. Look at this one. This this one's counterintuitive. We've used that word a lot this morning. Proverbs 28 and verse number 23. Proverbs 28, 23. We'll say it this way. It's unexpected. This does not seem as if it would give you favor in the eyes of man, but the Bible says it does. Proverbs 28, 23, the Bible says, He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. How can you find favor with man? Be willing to rebuke them. Rebuke. Now, that doesn't seem like it makes sense. People don't like to be told that they're wrong. People don't like to be confronted. But, but here's the thing. If you'll do it afterwards, not, not in front of everybody, the right time, the right place, privately, in such a way that really demonstrates, communicates that all you're trying to do is help, maybe not immediately, but in time, some... A true friend will grow to really appreciate that and respect that and thank you for that. You've got to be patient with this. You've got to trust the Lord with this. You've got to have the right kind of heart and right kind of approach with this. You've got to let time run its course. But a true friend will not allow a friend to continue on a path to destruction without trying to do something or say something to stand in their way, right? He that rebuketh a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flattereth with the tongue. You need to ask God to give you those kind of friends. You need to ask God to make you that kind of friend. Willing to rebuke one another to say, what are you thinking? What are you saying? Why did you do that? Why did you wear that? Why, why, why did you watch that? You know, it's even more powerful when it comes from one of your peers than when it comes from the preacher who's old and not cool, right? Rebuke. That's what the Bible says. Look at Proverbs 22, verse number one. Proverbs 22, verse number one. How can I increase in favor with man? Mercy and truth, wisdom, righteousness, rebuke. And then Proverbs 22, one, it's, it's just a choice. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. This, this verse demonstrates the value of what we're talking about. It's, it's better than riches. It's better than silver and gold. It would be better to choose this than to choose those things, to pursue this than to pursue those things. But you've got to make up your mind and heart about that. You've got to make that a matter of Choice. You have to choose to pursue favor with man. If you do, here's what will happen. Proverbs 19 
and verse number 12. Here's the description or the result. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse number 12. The Bible says, The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. I've, not, I've never thought of comparing the two of those before. A lion's roar or the grass's dew. But one sounds much more gentle than the other. One sounds much more pleasant than the other. One sounds much less scary than the other. Dew upon the grass. That, that speaks of refreshment, a life that isn't dry, that isn't barren, that isn't crusty like the brown, brittle, dead grass. I don't want that to be my life. Do upon the grass, that's an environment that is, that is providing the right conditions for growth. In order for that grass to grow and be green, and it, it needs some moisture, it needs some water. And, and in order for my life to have the right conditions to produce something good for God, I need to increase in favor with God and with man. Okay? So here's what we're talking about. Here's the summary. Here's the conclusion. The most important thing is what God says about us. We are going to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, not a jury of our peers. But at the same time, if we are surrounded by some people who love God and know God, which we are here in the context of this church, praise the Lord, then what they think about you and what they say about you is a good indication of how the Lord feels about you. Does that make sense? So increase in favor with God because we need his blessing on our lives, but don't discount the importance of a good reputation and a good and, and some good relationships with the people around you. So what we're talking about with all of this is developing some good, basic Christian social skills. Right? You need, to, you need to learn, you need to know how to look someone in the eye and speak to them and carry on a conversation. You need to develop the ability to greet someone and initiate a conversation. Start a conversation. Ask questions about them, not about yourself. You, you, need, to, you need to be able to put someone new at ease and make them feel comfortable be a good thing to learn how to do you need to be the one when we have bible conference and they're out of town guests you're the one who goes out of your way to make sure the new person gets greeted and gets to know people and introduced to others why is all that important because the ministry is about people and life is about ministry and god is not going to be able to use you if you don't know how to deal with and if you don't know how to relate to people. I forget exactly how James Hoffmeister said it, but he, he basically said, you can't just be a bunch of nerds. If you want God to use your life. Now look, I'm all for being separate. I'm all for being different. I don't want to be like the world. You don't need to be cool or whatever the word is now. But you do need to be able to relate with people. 
and speak to people and minister to them, be a blessing to them. That's kind of what we're focusing on here in favor with man. That's what Jesus did. That's what Samuel did. Many examples in the scripture and then ways that we can do the same. So may God work that in our hearts. Let's pray and we'll close. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for its simple truth and instruction. Uh, God, thank you for the blessings that you have heaped upon our lives this morning as we go to preaching time. Open our hearts and and our minds. Help us, Lord, to not be distracted. Help us to really focus, pay attention, allow you to speak to us. Use our pastor as he opens the Bible. May uh, May you bless our worship time. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.